Well, so um, now it is my honor and privilege for a few minutes to tell the old, old story and to talk about um, these God questions that we've been wrestling with um, throughout this fall season. And today's question is a little bit of a different kind of question. It doesn't have uh, perhaps as much philosophical bent to it or theological or doctrinal bent to it. Uh, it's a much more personal question. And in some ways, if you ask yourself this question, it can come off a little bit um, self-centered. Do I matter to God? Do I matter? Does God really care about me and my circumstances? And I think we all, probably in the privacy of our own hearts and minds, sometimes maybe we have someone with whom we can share this question. But when circumstances or the situation or whatever arises... We wonder, you know, do I matter to God? So to begin um, this message, let, let's just say this for a fact, and that is we lose things. How many have ever lost anything? Right? You lose things. We lose things all the time. Um, some of us are prone to lose more things than others are prone to lose, and sometimes things are lost for a little while, and sometimes um, they're lost forever. For instance... If you lost your electronic device, let's say your smartphone. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, some people are reaching their pocket to make sure they didn't lose their cell phone already. If you lost that, you'd be in a panic, right? It'd be like, oh my goodness, my cell phone. It's got all my contacts in it, all my email. Some of them have credit card information on there. All that stuff is in my, 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 my phone and I can't find it. Well, you know, manufacturers know this, right? They know how stupid we can be. So they create an app, a Find My Device app. Depending on what carrier you have or what manufacturer you have, there's some kind of device that can help you find your cell phone wherever you lose it. Now, sometimes these apps are a little frustrating. For instance, let's just say, hypothetically, I'm at home and I can't find my cell phone, and I'm sure I've looked everywhere, and uh, even said, Becky, do you know where my cell phone is? And her answer is, it's right where you put it. And I would go, you know, where's my cell phone? So I, you know, get on the computer and I find my iPhone app. And you know what that app tells me? My cell phone is at my house. <laughs> I've looked on every floor already, every closet, every place I can imagine, and I can't find it. But it's there somewhere. It's really not that much help. One time I, uh, I lost my cell phone and I realized that I had lost it. And what I had done is um, I was putting something in the trunk of the car and I had set my cell phone on the bumper um, and then shock shockingly I got distracted and I jumped in the car and I just drove off. And I wasn't that far. I was like a quarter of a mile from my, where I had left and I realized I left my cell phone on the bumper. And so I kind of retraced my route and I couldn't find it and I didn't see it. And so I happened to have my iPad with me. I went inside where they had Wi-Fi. I clicked on find my iPhone and I found my iPhone. It looked exactly like this. Now, the miraculous thing I find about this is that I, some, not me, some other person had run over my iPhone and crushed it. But the Find My iPhone app still worked. And in fact, all the data that was on it could still be transferred to my new phone. The problem was I had to buy a new phone. So we all lose things, right? We lose things, we misplace them, we can't find them, we don't know where they are. And, you know, sometimes it's tragic and sometimes it's not that big of a deal. But we all are prone to lose 
various things in our life and want to know where they are. Um, we have a lost and found at church, for instance. People will leave things behind here. Aren't you just curious to know what's in our lost and found? Now, I will tell you right up front, there are no cell phones, wallets, or purses in this box, although we do find those. But people come back and get them right away. One of the most popular items that people leave behind at church, sunglasses. If you see your sunglasses, feel free to come and get them after the service. Uh, but people leave behind sunglasses all the time. I think that what happens is the sun is out when you come to church. It's not out when you go. I, mean, I don't know what happens. But they leave sunglasses. People actually also leave reading glasses. So I don't know how you're home reading, but you leave these reading glasses. And you might go, that's where my reading glasses are. People leave keys. I've got here a set of keys. It's also got uh, one of those little uh, magnetic keys on it. So if you can't get into work or some secure spot because you don't know where your magnetic key is, I have it right here. And most distressing for me as a pastor, somebody months ago left their Bible behind. It's true. And they've never come to look for it. Maybe you didn't know where it was. Maybe you were embarrassed. I don't really know. But I have your Bible. And if you'd like it, you can come get it. I've been using it for months now. It's very helpful. It's been great. Now, I read somewhere once that you can determine the value of something that you lose by the effort and the energy and the sacrifice that you put into going to find it, right? I mean, how much effort, energy, and sacrifice am I going to make to find whatever it is I have to find? I mean, maybe for your cell phone, you're going to go to a lot because it's very valuable to it, but other stuff, not so much. And this lost and found box is a perfect illustration of that. So also in my lost and found box, it's been in here for probably six weeks, is a Chicago Bears hat. Currently, no one apparently thinks this is very valuable right now. But if you'd like to wear it for Halloween, they do play tomorrow night. We had a Cubs hat for about two days. Somebody came and got that back. So, you know, I'd probably spend a lot of time looking for one of my children if I lost them. Um, depends on which one, but I would spend some time. But we lose things, and, and the amount of effort and energy and sacrifice that goes into to finding them kind of... Um, determines their value. Not only do we lose things, but we get lost. We lose our bearings, for instance, we say. We maybe directionally challenged, we're not real sure what's going on that day, but sometimes we can lose our bearings and our compass point in bigger ways than that. We lose our way in life. We can lose our place in line, our place in line at work, our place in line in our family, our place in line in our organization. We can lose our train of thought momentarily or for an extended period of time. We can lose our status or our power or our prestige or our position. And sometimes we feel like we are losing our minds. And sometimes we just feel lost. Jesus um, told three stories in Luke chapter 15 about lost things. And... Um, the I Love to Tell the Story song that we sang just a few minutes ago um, really applies to these stories because I think many of us have heard them or know about these stories. Those who know them best seem to be hungering and thirsting to hear them again. So Luke chapter 15 has a context before Jesus tells these stories. There's a reason he has to tell them. And the context is this. The tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. 
This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. And so the idea being expressed here is that um, is that Jesus is claiming to be a rabbi, a teacher, to represent God. And he's even made some allusions to perhaps being the long-awaited Messiah. If that is the case, the religious leaders are saying, if that is the case, he wouldn't be hanging around with these kind of people. Religious leaders, teachers of the law, didn't hang around with sinners. They hung around with other teachers of the law, synagogue attenders, good upstanding citizens in the community. They would never hang around with these people, so therefore Jesus really couldn't be who he claimed to be. Now Jesus doesn't get defensive. He doesn't argue with them about what he's doing. He doesn't answer their criticism with theology or doctrine. I'm sure he could have, but he chose not to. He tells three stories. The first story he tells goes like this. Suppose one of us has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open field and go out after lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me! I found my lost sheep! I tell you, Jesus says, in that same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Maybe because the story is familiar to us, it's hard for us to imagine how nuts this must have sounded to the Pharisees and to the religious leaders. Seriously? You would leave 99 people who wanted to hang out with God and godly people to chase down one who didn't care about that at all? Or if you were the owner of a hundred sheep, or the shepherd assigned to take care of a hundred sheep, you would leave 99 in an open field where they could be, you know, captured, stolen, taken, die, whatever the case might be, to chase down one sheep? I mean, if you are the shepherd of the sheep and the owner comes back and goes, hey, how are my hundred sheep doing? You're going, well, I've got one because I found that. The other 99 escaped when I was chasing down the one. I mean, how nuts does this sound? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's almost as silly, is it not, as someone who claims to represent God hanging around with ungodly people. The shepherd goes above and beyond to find one lost sheep. And Jesus tells a second story. Or he says, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I can tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, now this story may be a little bit easier for us to relate to than the one about the sheep. We don't know much about sheep. We don't do sheep. We know they exist and we kind of see them, but, but we don't know anything about them escaping or taking care of them. But lost money... Lost money is a very common thing, right? I mean, do you ever search through your couch cushions looking for lost coins? <laughs> we lose money all the time. Sometime it's going to get cold in the near future. I hate to break that news to you. And you're going to go put on your winter jacket. And you're going to put your hands in the pocket 
And lo and behold, you're going to find a 1 or a 5 or a 10 or a 20 that you didn't know was there because you had lost money and you think it's loud bonus money. This is great. I found my lost money. We find money in the church parking lot. Sometimes we find it underneath the chairs. Depends on, you know, in our church, it kind of depends on how much money is worth it. Like a penny, I'm not chasing underneath those chairs, but for a buck, I'm going there. It's kind of the way it works. Now, this lady, this lady had ten coins, lost one, and turned her house completely upside down to find that one lost coin. Because she just couldn't bear living with one lost coin. Earlier I said that I had read somewhere that you can determine the value of what is lost by the effort, energy, and sacrifice that goes into finding it. I mean, before the shepherd and the woman put a lot of energy and energy and sacrifice and, and effort into finding the sheep and one lost coin, they gave everything they had. And from our perspective, when you kind of think about it, it seems a little silly, does it not? I mean, you know, all that time, and I mean, you got 99, 99% is a pretty good score, I think. You got 90% of what you need. I had 10 coins, I've got nine now, that's still pretty good. Why all the energy and effort and sacrifice to find the one? Jesus is answering the criticism of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law by saying, let me tell you a couple stories to see if you can understand what I am doing and why I'm doing it. You know, those sheep and that coin represent people. Ninety-nine sheep are a part of God's family and one sheep is lost. It, is, it wanders away. It was part of a flock once, but now it isn't there any longer. And we as people are prone to wander. Isaiah tells us that we're all like sheep and we go astray. All of us are like that. We're not always aware of it, but if you think about it, it happens. Life gets busy. Things get in the way. Other things become a priority. We don't you know, spend as much time in God's Word. We, we kind of fudge on our prayer life periodically. It happens. Life gets in the way. And then all of a sudden we realize that we've wandered away and we're not close to God at all. And there we are. And we're prone to wander. And we get lost like coins. When you lose money, I mean, let's just face it, we're being careless, right? We're not paying that much attention. I had some change in my pocket. I get up and now it's gone. Where is it? I wasn't paying attention. You stick that money in your winter coat pocket and you hang it up for the rest of the summer and you pick it back up and you don't even realize that you were careless. And so sometimes we get careless. We get careless with the decisions that we make. We get careless with the kind of people that we affiliate ourselves with. We get careless with our time. Sometimes we get careless with our money by spending more than we really have and find ourselves in deference rates because we've just gotten careless. And that still small voice can't get through to us any longer. We're like sheep and lost coins. But God is relentless in his pursuit for us. Jesus said, my purpose in coming into the world is to seek and save the lost, not the found. Well, he likes us because we're found, but, but he's out there to seek and serve the lost. I want to find the lost people. And more radically, even the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, 
that God's desire is that all men be saved. Every living, breathing human being, no matter how much we might despise them, it's God's desire that they be saved. How badly does God want that? As badly as a shepherd who will go out and search for one sheep and leave the 99 behind or look for one coin when they've already got nine of the ten. I mean, you can see that in Jesus' ministry, right? We're told it was his custom to go and worship. It was his custom to go to the synagogue. That was his custom. He went to worship all the time. But he didn't hang out seven days a week for 24 hours in the synagogue, hoping that people would show up to find him. Jesus did his ministry out in the street, out in the public square. He went to parties that were hosted by Pharisees sometimes, sometimes by non-Pharisees, sometimes by these very people who he was with in this particular day, sometimes by Romans. He went to all sorts of places. Because lost people are everywhere, probably but at the synagogue or at church. You know, when I was a college chaplain, my mentor taught me, I probably told this story before, that, you know, if you really want to minister to college students, uh, you got to kind of figure out where they hang out. And our office was in the basement of the college chapel. There were some classrooms down there, so kids would come because they were required to go to class. But I don't know how to break this news to you, but kids were not just hanging out at chapel all day long. If you wanted to talk to college students and, and get in relationships with them, one of the best places to go was the student cafeteria. So I'd go there for a couple of hours every day and sit and eat. <laughs> And build relationships with kids and try to find kids I'd never met and see whatever the case may be. Because I had to go and find them. They weren't probably going to come and find me unless they were really in trouble. Or you went to their dormitory. Or you went to the student union. Or you went to other places where students hung out. Because that's where you'd find them. It was a model that Jesus had. I mean, some business people had this great management concept called uh, management by wandering around. So that if you are a leader in an organization, you don't just sit in your office. If you want to engage people, you've got to go out once in a while and have conversations. You've got to go to the different departments. You've got to get involved with them. Management by wandering around. It's this brand new, wonderful concept. I'm going, Jesus did that in his ministry. <laughs> it's not that new. Maybe we've never thought about it as being lost. But we get lost once in a while. Jesus told one more story about being lost in chapter 15 of Luke's gospel. Um, and it's not about a sheep or a coin, but it is about a son that gets lost. And it's a little different kind of getting lost. And rather than reading the story to you, we'll kind of paraphrase it. Um, other people have done the same thing. Um, and, and you may be familiar with the story. And if you attend here regularly, you remember a couple years ago, we even took a whole month of January to talk about um, the prodigal God. And, and, and that's the story, right? So there is a, a man who has two sons, very wealthy guy. He's got a couple of sons, an older and a younger son. Um, and one day the younger son comes to the father and says, Hey, look, I know I've got an inheritance coming. Um, I know that it's there. Um, why don't you just give it to me now? Because this place is a drag and I've got to get out of here. So he went to go wherever he had to go. So his father gave him the inheritance. And the son takes off and... Um, you know, he kind of lives the life that he thought would bring him meaning and purpose and excitement. A, a lot more fun than it ever is at home, which we all kind of thought at one time, right? There's got to be someplace better than home. This is all kind of a drag. He, he got himself an apartment. He bought himself a car. You know, he did everything he wanted to do. And after a while, 
all the money was gone. Lost his apartment, had his car repossessed, didn't know where to turn. And so he, he took the only job he could find, which was to feed somebody else's pigs on a farm. Not very glamorous, but you got to eat every day. And while he's doing that, he realizes, you know, my father has a lot of people that work for him. And the jobs that they have are a lot better than this job. Maybe I should um, you know, grovel in his presence. Maybe I should beg for his forgiveness. Maybe I should somehow get in his good graces and just go back home and see if my dad will give me a job. Because I can't do this any longer. Nuts. And so the lost son makes the decision to go home. Now the father was heartbroken that his son had ever come to him and asked for this money early on because when you know anything about first century culture, commentators will tell you that to ask for your inheritance early is a way of saying to your father, I wish you were dead. And so it hurt and it was painful. We understand what it means in some ways to wander away like the lost son because some of us make that choice. Sometimes it's overt and obvious, and other times it's less overt and obvious. But, but we wander away, or we get careless, or we make, purposely walk away. And we wonder what God thinks and what God is going to do with us. And maybe we've never thought about it as being lost. But we've wandered into all sorts of places looking for acceptance, or meaning, or love. The late Henry Nouwen, the Dutch Catholic priest, wrote about it this way. He said, somehow I've become deaf to the voice that calls me beloved. Left the only place where I can hear that voice. And I've gone off desperately hoping that I would find somewhere else what I could no longer find at home. Man, and every day, aren't we bombarded with messages about all that other stuff? that's so much better than home about piling up awards and setting sales records and getting the most likes on your Facebook page for your articles people will accept you and affirm you if you wear the right clothes and drive the right car and live in the right neighborhood and observe the right customs and get the right grades and go to the right school and have the right degree and collect the right trophies if you don't show any weaknesses or any of the other number of things that we can think of that we've chased after, that we think would give us meaning and purpose, it's screaming at us every day. And then it leaves us empty, feeding the pigs, longing to be back home, lost. The father was heartbroken that his son had made this demand for his early inheritance. But it was his son, and he missed his son being at home, and he longed for his return. And so, every night after dinner, the father would pour himself a cup of coffee and sit on a porch and look out across the countryside and wonder and wonder and pray, will my son come home today? Will my son come home today? And one night he's out there with his cup of coffee, and he looks off at the and he sees a figure, it's, it's something, or, or maybe it's someone, and they're at the end of a very long driveway, and they're moving toward him. 
and the closer that that figure gets, the more the father realizes that that's a very familiar looking person and their walk is familiar to him and the closer he gets, he realizes it's, it's my son. And he jumps off the porch and he runs down the driveway to greet his son and his son like us, probably could only imagine what's going to happen. Now my father's going to let me have it, right? Why did you do this? Why did you take the money? I told you it would turn out this way. You're so disappointed. How could you go with that? And instead, the father gives to his son with tears streaming down his face. He gives his son the biggest bear hug he's ever received. And he says, welcome home. Welcome home. And he brings his son down the driveway and up to the house. And he says, my son is home. My son is home. Let's have a party. My son is home. Now some of you could say, well, hold it. The father didn't go out and look for the lost son. Well, if the son is us and the father is God, is part of the Trinity. And the Holy Spirit never left the Son. And it's the exact thing that happens to you and I, is it not? That somehow through a circumstance or a situation or something that happens in our life, we realize how far we've gone and are lost and wonder whether or not God will ever take us back. And Jesus says, absolutely. Absolutely. Do I matter to God? We matter so much that he exhausts every possible means, every effort, all the energy, and the ultimate sacrifice to bring us home. Maybe we could think about it this way. God has a Find My People app. And when we wander away, he knows right where to locate us. And he'll come running to find us because he wants us home. We matter more than we could ever imagine. Let us pray. Our confession would be, O oh Lord, that we are prone to wander and we're careless. And sometimes we purposely walk away. Thank you for the good news. For this old, old story that reminds us of your grace and your mercy. Bless us, O oh Lord, with your presence. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.